because I have a lot of faith in them. And I think for it's for us to listen to them and to support them as well. I think that's what we can do as the as the elders. Welcome to Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm Lou Hamilton and I'm an artist, author and founder of the podcast guesting agency Brave New Girl Media. If you're interested in the health and well-being of people and the planet, then you're in the right place. My guests are change makers, focused on doing their bit towards the greater good and showing us that even taking small actions in the right direction, we can have a big impact on the world we live in. So, all aboard the mothership. Let's do this together. My guest this week is Ujua Sika, author of Bringing Up Race and her latest book, Raising Boys Who Do Better. She speaks on topics such as race, intersectionality and anti-racist parenting. Formerly a journalist, Uju is featured across mainstream media, including Good Housekeeping, Marie Claire, Good Morning Sunday and Woman's Hour. Welcome, Uju, to Brave New Girl podcast. Hi, Uju, how are you? I am good. Yeah, happy that we've got some sunshine now, or a little bit of sunshine anyway. It's lovely to have you back on the podcast. We talked back in 2020 when you had uh, published your first book, Bringing Up Race, during the pandemic at a very poignant time. And now we're a few years on and you've brought out your next book, Raising Boys Who Do Better. And, and I think this is also a very poignant moment to be bringing out this book. We have such high rates of suicide among young men and we live in a society which has been mainly a patriarchal society and we found ourselves now at the brink of this massive climate crisis and I think the two could well be related. So I'm particularly interested to uncover the details in your book and and how that relates to to climate change so can you give us an overview about your your new book yeah so um raising boys who do better which is very specifically titled a hopeful guide for a new generation um because hope is definitely one of my key values and i feel like we can all do better for our boys and that includes the boys themselves you know teaching them how to um kind of break apart from this hyper masculine culture that uh, we all find ourselves in you know that we call the patriarchy um and how can we raise boys who are more compassionate who are more caring you know who value caring who are more conscious and who can hold themselves accountable and hold others around them accountable as well. So yeah, it's a big ask, but um, it's also something that is very important to me as the mother of, of boys. Obviously, parents are doing the best with with what they've got, with what they can do. You know, everyone's trying their hardest and they're doing it within a society that we have which, as we said, has been highly patriarchal. How do we influence a world in which we can raise our boys to do better? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, how do we influence the world? I think a lot of us talk maybe quite loftily about, oh, I want to, you know, have to change the world, or there's this whole sort of idea of changing the world. And what is the world? You know, it's really, it's your connections, it's the people around you, it's your neighbours, most importantly, it's your your family and your friends. And, you know, the future, what is the future? It's our children. So I think, how do we influence the world we start we start small we start at home we start with the people that we know and um also we start with ourselves you know a lot of this writing this book did involve quite a bit of soul searching and self-analysis and kind of untangling and unpacking my own inner patriarchy (laughs) because it's got its grip on all of us and you know, we have to reckon with it before we can change it. Uh, my son is 30 and last year he went to Mexico to support his his girlfriend and her mother as part of a moon dance festival and ritual. And so what happened was that they go into the jungle and for a few days the women go through this ritual and the men are there entirely to support the women and do whatever they can to help the women go through this quite uh, challenging few days and and he said that when he came out he was very emotional and and he said that what he found was incredible was the support that the men gave each other too and there was a huge mm. amount of emotional support kindness embracing each other just in a way that you'd think wow wouldn't that be amazing that would be such a different kind of society that we'd have if if we could live in that way both for men among men and between men and women and so how do you see that in terms of your book and and having boys yourself Mm. Um, I love I love the story that you just told that experience it must have been really powerful and I think that having that kind of experience can really be sort of transformative for the rest of your life in raising boys who do better I have a chapter which is about rites of passage and talking about you know these sort of ancient rites which have been carried out across civilizations for for eons, um, which we've kind of lost in the West. You know, these points of sort of recognizing that, for instance, a boy or a child is becoming closer to an adult. I won't say that they're at 13, you're not an adult, but you're getting closer to an adult. I've got an eight, a 17 year old and he keeps telling me I'm, I'm an adult in six months. And I'm kind of like, mm, you're closer to an adult. You're not fully an adult. But um, so yeah, so for when children are coming of age, having these ceremonies, these kind of rituals where it's not just about taking them, you know, for instance, often they take them out into the wild and they do some specific challenge together. But it's really about that communal aspect and also about being welcomed into the fold by your elders. And this is so beneficial. It's been proven across society. So I've got a whole chapter on it in the book. Um, And in the chapter, I also share a couple of people who've explored having 
rites of passage in modern times. For instance, there's um, a guy who gives a TED talk on it. And there's something that I really loved that he talks about. He said that when he, they did a formal rites of passage ceremony for his kids. And one of the things that they did was assemble a coming of age team, which would be made up of, you know, friends, elder relatives, uncles, you know, mentors, and assemble this team. And then they would do something called wisdom walks, where they would go on a walk with their children. And every five minutes, one of the coming of age team would stop and share a little piece of wisdom, a little life nugget, something inspirational that would sort of help the child as they moved into this next stage of their life. And he talks about now his kids are, are grown or they're, I think they're, they're in the twenties, but they still mention, you know, the, the power of those wisdom walks and how they felt kind of uh, a sense of relief as well as a sense of belonging from being surrounded by this coming of age team, knowing that they had people that they could turn to and that you're not doing this whole sort of adulthood thing alone. And it's, it's a really strong feature of the patriarchy and traditional masculinity and what they call the man box, that you have to be self-sufficient and you have to be super strong and you have to keep everything <laughs> bottled in. This is one of the, the inevitable causes of the sort of mental health issues among men, you know, the loneliness, the fact that so many of them I think they said they, they did a study and it was something like one in five men didn't have a close friend that they could turn to as an adult. Um, and I look at my boys with their friends and how close they are. And I want them to sort of nurture that companionship and that sense that, you know, we can all support each other. And this is, it is manly <laughs> and it is masculine to be nurturing and to be supportive. So yeah, I mean, I love, I love what your son has experienced. And it, it's something that we can foster as parents, just encouraging those friendships and that sense of support. And so you, when you were young, little, um, a girl, how did you experience males around you? And what was that culture that you were growing up in as a girl? So very interesting. So I'm, I was born in Nigeria and Nigeria is definitely a patriarchal culture. And also, you know, my ethnic group is Igbo and Igbo is very traditionally masculine. So, um, and then I grew up with two parents who were quite radical for their, you know, for their age and for their culture in many senses. My mum was definitely someone I would describe as a feminist or um, more like me, a womanist, which is sort of more inclusive term. But at the same time, she was very traditional. So she was very into sort of, you know, serving my dad and making sure that he always had like the biggest plate of rice. <laughs> and, you know, if there was like meat in the stew, he would eat it first. <laughs> Everyone else would come after him. And very often he might, you know, my dad would eat by himself at the table. I mean, a lot of times we would all sit together, but very often, you know, it would be like, he, he gets served and then everyone else gets served afterwards. And she would defer to him as the head of the household. But when I look at their dynamic, she was definitely the sort of, more vocal, more forceful, <laughs> stronger. And she came from, um, you know, she has 
16, she had 15 sisters, or 16 of them. So she had 15 sisters and, and six brothers. And the women, you know, dominate <laughs> in their family. So it's a very interesting culture, Nigeria, because as much as it's a patriarchy, it's also full of very strong entrepreneurial, um, you know, I would say matriarchal behaving women. So, um, so I guess my understanding of, uh, you know, men and gender roles was that, yeah, on some level I could see that, you know, for instance, we, we were very respectful to my dad, obviously, you know, he was my father, but at the same time I did, there was a lot of things that I resented. Like my mother used to sort of coddle my older brother and, you know, it would be me and my sister in the kitchen, <laughs> my brother like relaxing in the living room. And, you know, I would say to my mom, like as a feminist, like how, what is this? And she's like, oh, he's your older brother. You should, you should do this for him. That was just how she grew up. And that was the element of her culture that I guess was, was just part of her and she couldn't let go of. Um, so it's really interesting to see, like with, obviously as a mom of two boys, I try and make sure that they do their share. But at the same time, as I was writing um, Raising Boys Who Do Better, I thought to myself, if I had two girls, like if I had a, a daughter who was almost, you know, about to leave the house, I'm very sure I would have, you know, she would be doing a lot more, like in terms of like cooking and all of that. So, yeah, so I'm trying to like hold myself to account with that as well. <laughs> it's not always easy, but I'm trying. So when you left home and went out into the world, what was your experience of the world in terms of that sort of patriarchy? I think that, you know, once you leave your, your shelter of home or, you know, experience of home, you get into the world, then you see, especially as you get older and you enter like your teen years as a girl, you experience the sort of, I guess, the predatory behavior that can, <laughs> can be part of the patriarchy because especially growing, you know, I grew up in like the 80s, 90s and around that period, it was still very much like that predatory behavior was very much congratulated for for boys and for men. I think, you know, a lot of teen boys, the racking up of dates and girlfriends and all of this. Um, and also I look back to being a young teenager and sort of having older men <laughs> and this is the shadow of older men as well really strikes me you know I look at my my youngest is 14 and I think you know when I was 14 I definitely had the shadow of a lot of inappropriate behavior that um yeah, that, that worries me. And I think that, that you carry that with you. You know, I've had also, unfortunately, some um, very negative experiences, you know, that I won't go into, but, you know, like, for instance, the whole Me Too movement that hit me very personally. And yeah, so you think it's it becomes a very tricky world to navigate, I think, as somebody who doesn't benefit from from male privilege or doesn't 
you know, that can't quite, as a woman, there's so many different ways in which you need to watch yourself, you know, you need to watch yourself, like just in the street, walking down, walking home at night, um, you need to watch yourself in a corporate setting, am I sort of behaving in a way that's going to annoy, you know, the <laughs> if you're in a sort of all-male environment, you know, how do you make yourself heard, how do you not become the the angry woman and then the angry black woman because obviously I'm a black woman so then there's an intersectional element at play always so yeah it's it's a it's a lot isn't it it's a lot to navigate and then when you become a mother of a son in your case two sons and as stepmother I had a huge sense of here I have a, a, a wee boy and I have a responsibility as a mother to create the kind of man, boy to man, that I feel would be a good contribution to society that would help kind of disintegrate this kind of patriarchal system. And and it's a huge pressure on us as women to to feel like we have to do that. And obviously, you know, you're doing it in partnership with your your with the father of, of the child, too. So it is a kind of there's a balance there um, in most cases. But how did you feel as you entered motherhood with that sense of responsibility, I guess? Um, yeah, overwhelmed a lot of the time. Um, I think most of the time when I look back, I think, especially in the early days, a lot of the time was just kind of muddling through <laughs> and getting through day by day because parenthood is just you know it's a challenge no matter what and I think that we need to recognize just the the sheer challenge of just motherhood without all the other elements you know obviously I've written a book called bringing up race which is about how to raise a kind child in a prejudiced world now I've written a book about you know raising boys who do better but you know can we just acknowledge like just raising your child in any circumstances is can be like <laughs> what the actual you know what am I doing how do I do it and especially um you know like I said in the, in the western culture this idea of self-sufficiency um this two-parent unit that we've kind of modeled as the perfect um you know the perfect unit the perfect way to parent it's not really the way we've parented throughout you know human civilization and it's not really the way we parent like back in my culture in nigeria there's always community there's always you know additional family members to to come and, and to help you through this you know you're not meant to be doing it on your own or with just two of you figuring it out um so so yeah it was it was challenging and i think that for me, it was turning to kind of people that, you know, like uh, family members that I saw who had boys and thinking, okay, you know, what, what are they doing that I appreciate or what are they not doing <laughs> that I don't want to replicate? Um, and also, yeah, reading, reading some books. I wasn't a huge fan of parenting books, to be honest, and that's why I say that my books are not traditional parenting books. <laughs> They're more like um, kind of storytelling and companionship along the journey of, of what we're trying to do, which, yeah, it's, it's big. <laughs> and these, these boys that become men, it can feel 
very isolating for them if they understand how to be how to do better how to to be a better human um i mean this goes for boys and girls but um we're talking about boys in this context and so for them being that way can feel very isolating and lonely because they're still faced with a world which in which most men feel obligated to fit in the as you call the man box so how do we help them to feel like they can express themselves in their full the full spectrum of feminine masculine you know non-gender across the whole spectrum and that that be okay for them and then feel that that they're supported in that it can be really difficult i think especially because there are so many boys in fact i would say most pretty much all boys none of them fit inside this this man box you know the man box isn't a term that i came up with it's a, a term that's been used for for um decades now and one of the people who came up with the term actually was fortunate to interview him for raising boys who do better paul kivel and you know, and he goes into schools and he speaks with boys about this, this act like a man box is what he called it. And you kind of draw a box. So it's like, you know, draw a box and then you write down all, what are the characteristics of manliness? And those are the characteristics that fit in the man box. And that's to be, you know, brave. And like I said, to be stoic and self-sufficient and strong and muscular and, um you know powerful and domineering and and to have lots of girls you know interested in you and all of this and then it's like and what does it feel like to be outside the box you know what are those characteristics and what happens to you if you're not in the box and then you write down and all of these things are related to sort of um misogyny you know it's like you're being called you're called a sissy or you're called um you know you're um, being sort of uh, given homophobic slurs or you're called weak, um, all of these things. And so for boys who know that they don't fit in the, in the man box, and that is majority of boys, you know, how can you fit in this box? How can you, the whole spectrum of who you are, fit in this little box? So for, the, for those of them, it's very, very lonely, very isolating very scary for a lot of them. And I think as parents, it's so important to, A, to think about, you know, to understand that there is this man box construct that has been constructed for the benefit of the patriarchy to keep, <laughs> to keep a certain type of masculinity in power. Um, so to understand that and to, to have those conversations with your boys, you know, what Paul Kivel says, you know, when he had these conversations with groups of boys in school, there was always this big sense of relief and release, being able to to share and being able to sort of go beyond, you know, go outside the box and say, actually, I don't have to be this way. I don't have to, just because it's been done like this before doesn't mean I have to do it. There's so much freedom in that. And knowing that there are other boys who feel the same way can be really empowering for, for boys. I think as parents, it's about, you know, having those conversations, 
nurturing relationships with your son and you know other boys who are willing or are sort of more open to to behaving or expressing themselves outside the box and then also just being like a safe space for your child to to be who they want to be at any given stage and not to freak out. Like for instance, my my boys, I would say are very, especially my eldest, very sort of traditional boy-boy, uh, <laughs> you know, they're always like wrestling, punching each other, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and now as teenagers, you know, they're full of the banter and it's all this like, you know, schoolboy stuff. And I, I interrupt. So what I do is I like every now and then I'll say, oh, hey, what was that? Or what did you, or did you mean to say that? Or I'll crack a joke around something that they've said, but I'm not trying to like, you know, slam down on them for, you know, doing the wrong thing or for being, you know, if I say something is sexist, I'm not trying, sometimes I do lecture them, but I'm not trying to give them a lecture because I want them still to be able to express who they are around me so that I can, so that I also can see, you know, who they're developing into, who they're becoming. And I also want to remind myself and reassure myself that at the end of the day, no matter all the different things that are sort of flying out of them, all the hormonal expression that's happening, at the end of the day, I know who these two boys are and I know that they are kind and that they are conscious and that they are caring and that they're funny and they're empathetic and they're all of these things. And that's from having a relationship with them. So the most important thing you can do really is just nurture that relationship that you have with your child and, you know, just stay open and stay aware. And so here we are with this construct of the man box and these kind of characteristics and stereotyping that kind of fits inside the man box. And that man box has created the world that we are in now. And all of the problems that we're facing are due to those characteristics at play, at work. And so if we're breaking open that box for boys and men to be different and for us to relate to one another in different ways and to create a different world. How do we raise boys to create a more positive impact on society and therefore on the state of the world as we move forward? You know, we spoke earlier about how do you create that influence on the world and the idea that your influence on the world just starts with you and starts with your corner of the world and starts with your community and starts with that sense of accountability and, you know, raising boys here. <laughs> if, my, if my sons are listening, <laughs> they're always like, oh, because they're like, mum, I want you to be accountable. <laughs> I'm always on about accountability. <laughs> I think they've had enough of it. But you know, it is, you know, accountability is a huge, huge thing. And I think raising boys who have a sense of responsibility for who they are becoming in the world and for who they surround themselves with and for how they treat their friends and how they treat their neighbours and how they treat, you know, the environment, how they treat their community, um, I think is is really the only place you can start. You know, you can't 
you know, some boys are going to go off and, and, you know, as teenagers and go to different parts of the world and do exciting things or do sort of quite dramatic things to to help, uh, you know, for instance, different different societies or different, um, you know, environmental issues and all of that. But a lot of boys won't. But having a boy who feels like they can influence, even if it's one other person, to do better, to think a different way, to be more curious about um, different people and specifically women. You know, often a lot of boys don't have like very close friendships with women going through like their, their teenage years. So trying to encourage those as well, like cross-gender friendships, um, there's just so many different things that you can do, but it really just starts with who is the kind of, what is the kind of person you're trying to become? You know, who am I? Who am I trying to become? Who do I want to be in this world? And just bringing up that question and getting them to think about it and to think about it um, both from a sort of human and humane angle, but also like critically, like, you know, reflecting on how they behave and what impact that has on the people that they meet and, you know, what they can do that can be slightly better. You know, how am I slightly better today than I was yesterday? And I, I do believe that, that that's right, having an image of, of something to work towards. And so where do you think in the world things have been done better and that we can look to for example and inspiration? Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> Sometimes I look at the whole world and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is happening? It's just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's a shit show. But um, yeah, apart from that, <laughs> yeah, I look at, I, I would say, for instance, um, New Zealand and Jacinda Ardern, you know, she was someone who I held up, especially with, with the pandemic. So during the pandemic, it was really telling. So you had, Donald Trump, and you had Boris Johnson, and you had the the Brazilian, the former Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro. And they were all these, you know, I would say man box caricature type of individuals who were strutting around, you know, acting like COVID was was not a thing or was not a thing that they should be bothered about until it became a little bit too late. And then they had to, to reel back. And even then they were still, you know, not quite. And so it was this whole like macho attitude <laughs> to the pandemic. And then I saw that like with Jacinda Ardern, you know, the way I remember seeing her speaking to school children you know, and the reassuring, the reassuring tones and the, the empathy and the the compassion and the care. And I thought, you know, it's so different to have a leader who actually cares. You know, we're meant to be under the care of our leaders. And when we look at majority of our leaders around the world, it's like they really couldn't care. Like we are not under their care at all. They are just like their sense of leadership and style of leadership is just pure dominance. Like <laughs> this is how it is. I lay down the rules. Let's do it this way. Um, so I would say, you know, she was someone I looked to as 
as you know, obviously she, you know, I'm not going to say she's perfect and it's not a perfect society, but at least she was trying to do things in a different way and in a way in which she, she brought people along. And I think that's something that <laughs> would be great to see from majority, especially the ones who are leading the so-called world, you know, world leading countries or the so-called, um, I hate that term, but the so-called developed nations, uh, you know, it would be great to see some some proper leadership, like care. Thinking about that in terms of um, your vision for the future and where we're at with the climate crisis, what do you see as being a kind of ideal way to, to move forward? And what's your vision for the future? Yeah, when you talk about the climate crisis, again, we've seen, you've seen these very sort of man boxy, <laughs> I, say, say that term. I love the idea of the man boxer. It is, it's these very sort of man boxy personalities, you know, like Donald Trump, who will den- deny that climate change is even a reality, despite all the evidence to the contrary. And, you know, you see these countries who, and leaders who are still just plowing forwards um, with their vision for, uh, you know, civilization and progress and power and, you know, and it's all rooted in a very sort of patriarchal, patriarchal and white supremacist um, system, you know, and it has nothing to do with them. If you look at sort of indigenous societies around the world and how they lived and work with (laughs) the earth and respect the earth. You know, my mum told me that in, so like in her, her village, you know, when she was growing up, that before, when the people would go out into the forest and before they cut a tree, they would say a prayer to the tree and to the forest before they cut it. And then, obviously, since then, with the advent of colonialism and, you know, Christianity and all of these things that sort of said, oh, this this was, I don't know, demeaned basically their relationship with the community and the forests and the earth and all of this. So the indigenous um, religions and ideologies, they demeaned all of that. So now obviously it was like, okay, fine, let's cut down all the trees, let's do all this. And there's no responsibility and there wasn't any accountability. And now we're all, all of us are paying the price for it. So. Yeah, it can feel hopeless and sometimes it's it's overwhelming, you know, looking at what's happening in Maui. Um, yeah, so many different countries, it can feel overwhelming. But like I said, hope is a core value for me. And, you know, for me, hope is imagination and being able to imagine is, is everything that, um, or it's something that belongs to everyone. You know, every human can imagine, we can all, and we can raise kids who can imagine, who can imagine better. And with that imagination comes the possibility of doing better 
you know, and I have a lot of faith in the next generation. Obviously, I've written about how we can raise boys who do better, how we can bring up kids who are kinder. Um, but I see it already. I see the the next generation there. You know, they think differently from a lot of us, how we were growing, you know, what we were taught growing up. They don't hold on to a lot of those negatives. Um, they tend to be a lot more open. They're a, a bit more radical in the way that they think. They're ready to to make changes. Um, so I have a lot of faith in them. And I think for it's for us to listen to them and to support them as well. I think that's what we can do as the as the elders. <laughs> yeah. With our hope, with our imagination, taking action, that requires courage. And so how do you define courage in this climate era? Yeah, I think courage is it's just not giving up, isn't it? It's not giving up. You know, for me, courage is really, yeah, it's like finding a, a spark within yourself and that little, whatever that spark is, that allows you to keep going no matter the circumstances, even if you're afraid, even if it feels hopeless, even if it seems absolutely impossible, it's that you have that spark within you that says, I can keep going. And so, you know, courage is tied to faith and courage is tied to hope and courage is also tied to imagination. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what it means to be courageous. And I hope that more of us can can be courageous, you know, and it doesn't have to be um, doing some some crazy act that everyone goes, whoa, look at you. It can just be, you know, just getting out of bed and saying, I can, I can try, I can do something. Thank you so much, Uju, for your important book, inviting us to create a society in which we raise happy, healthy boys who can grow up to be compassionate, resilient men, who can work in partnership with women to create a better world and a more healthy planet. Thank you so much, Lou. It's always such a pleasure talking with you. So <laughs> very pleased you invited me on your podcast. Take care and see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Uju, for showing us how we can live in a more balanced world where everyone feels nurtured and supported to lead happy and successful lives. You can find out more about Uju's work on www.babesabouttown.com and follow her on Instagram at Babes About Town. Thank you, Brave New Girl Media, for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And to you for listening. I hope today's story inspires you to step into the spotlight and show how you too are positively impacting the world. Take care, choose courage, and see you next time.